0: Old Vines Written by Sevdrak And read by Literarian (music) Chapter Eleven Tempering and Tending Part One Crowley wakes up slowly, painfully, somewhere unfamiliar. His mouth tastes like socks. His joints all feel like tiny fireworks and his head is pounding out the syllables of the Pledge of Allegiance as delivered by a fucking machine gun and his arm is asleep. And where the fuck is he? It's not his bed because his bed is far more comfortable than this. It's not his couch either or the couch in the ecstasy's break room, or his chair, or even the floor. It doesn't smell right. He isn't smelling any of the familiar hints. His terra wet from the fog and the dew, his breezes flickering through the leaves, his things and his garden and his home. And yet it isn't that he feels... Crowley feels safe here. There's no anxiety, no tension, other than his arm, which would really like him to move sometime soon. So where the hell is a place where he can feel completely unfamiliar and yet safe? His eyes are glued shut. Crowley stretches his eyebrows in a pathetic attempt at stretching them, and then wrenches his eyelids open. The light hits him like the coming of the Antichrist, and he makes some kind of terribly pathetic noise, realizing only then that his throat is dry and tastes like the ashes of socks. Well, fuck, this is a lovely hangover. Crowley peels his eyelids open again and squints into the unfamiliar room. He can see the edge of the couch he's lying on, and across the way there's a great stand with a television on it that he feels like he's seen before. The coffee table his eyes hit next holds three empty wine glasses, one tipped on its side, and an empty bottle of Ruth. As he struggles to sit up, the pieces fall into place, and Crowley glances over to the recliner where he's expecting to see Aziraphale. The other man is also asleep. The recliner is extended, and there's a book in his lap, as if he'd been trying to read. Aziraphale's head is tipped back, and he's snoring a bit. Crowley's eyes sit on the expanse of that pale, rich throat before continuing. Both of Azirafeld's hands are resting on the back of the book, and he seems to have managed to only kick off one of his shoes. Crowley sits up and immediately regrets the last twelve hours of his existence. He ends up leaning his side into the back cushion of the couch, his hands pressed over his face, focusing on breathing and trying to gather the energy he needs to go make his mouth taste like something other than mould and charcoal. He probably dozes off again in that position, half-sitting, because he jerks awake again at a pounding knock on the door. As, the voice is familiar, Crowley wrenches the mush of his brain together. If this is Aziraphale's place, still, it's probably his assistant. Warlock. As, I'm as hungover as you are, but you have a call with Gabriel in 15 minutes and you need to have pants on, you fucking idiot. Crowley hears a pathetically deep groan and looks up to see Aziraphale very slowly writing the recliner. He's rubbing his forehead, he looks agonizingly tired, and Crowley watches as he palms his hands through his hair a few times before swallowing. Fuck, says Aziraphale very slowly and distinctly, as if he's using every single parched brain cell to speak. Crowley snorts, and felt eyes jerk upwards, startled, and then calm instantly, his face softening in what looks like an incredibly weary smile. You're still here, he says, and Crowley can hear a bit of wonder in his voice. Just woke up, he tries to frog, aware it's going to look pathetically grumpy. Raphael rubs his hands through his hair. Those pale blonde curls are wild, a cloud around his face, and glances around the room. My dear boy, he says carefully, we may have had one Wattled too many last night. Crowley barks something that should be a stand-in for a laugh, and decides he's going to stand up. <music> to his surprise, there's no one else in the house. Warlock explains that the them had crashed in the great room, but they'd been up early and had all headed back to their own respective beds. Crowley rubs his hand down his face and tries not to be embarrassed. Aziraphale isn't embarrassed as much as anxious. He'd kindly but firmly shuffled Crowley out of his bedrooms and into that stunning kitchen to stare dully at the curate, while Warlock toasted up English muffins and groaned. Aziraphale had emerged wearing a gorgeous pale mint-green button-down and a camel blazer, complete with a bow tie, and had met Crowley's eyes anxiously as he'd come into the kitchen, bustling like an old grandmother. Crowley, Aziraphale says eventually, just as Crowley has collected his mug of coffee from the contraption. I, am, um, as Warlock said, I have a call with my manager soon, and I think it's best if you... Crowley realizes belatedly that he's being asked to leave. It shouldn't exactly twist his chest this hard. He hadn't planned to stay over at all, had in fact intruded into Aziraphale's personal space by doing so. So why is his heart pounding as this tight feeling floods his belly? Why does it feel like disappointment? Oh, Aziraphale adds hurriedly and Crowley realises he's far too hungover to hide the expressions on his face. He fumbles in his pocket for his sunglasses, but it would be awkward to put them on now, so he's stuck with whatever his damn eyebrows seem to be doing. I don't mean to kick you out, dear. It isn't like you aren't welcome here any time. I just need to... well... Focus on this call for the moment. Crowley manages to reclaim his face and grins an easy grin, waving his hand. His head feels like it's full of bees. No problem, Angel. I've invaded your space enough, I think. He means it to be teasing. Genuine. Instead, it comes out a little bit too honest for his liking. Warlock seems to catch it by the way he starts to look at Crowley before going back to those English muffins. Aziraphale, it seems, is too flustered to notice. He's fussing his hands along the textured mint shirt. It sets off the pale curl of his head, as well as the kaleidoscope of his eyes, and while the camel blazer is probably fifteen years out of fashion, it fits him nicely. Oh, says Raphael, absolutely fretting. How do I look? He's talking to Warlock, but then he turns to Crowley And there's this very strange look in his eyes, as if he's asking Crowley for something. Maybe he is. Crowley considers being bitter, since he's being kicked out of the house, but with that look on Aziraphale's face, he can't really bring himself to be mean to the man. You look like you just stepped out of 2001, he drawls making sure to give his most flirtatious smirk. But in a good way, Angel. Raphael just gives him a look, rolling his eyes with a smile, and it's right back to where they were last night, camaraderie restored. You look fine, Warlock tells him, shoving a plate and a mug into his hands. The English muffin has jam, and the mug has some sort of tea. He'll like it. He likes when you wear bow ties. Now go, I have you set up in the study. Eat your muffin and calm down a bit before he cools. Aziraphale glances down at the plate, as if he's been too distracted to realise Warlock is feeding him. Oh, thank you, dear boy, he says. This is all sitting a bit funny in Crowley's stomach, too, and he isn't sure why. He likes when you wear bow ties, as if Aziraphale's dressing up for some other man? Calling Warlock, dear boy? Fuck, why should it matter? Aziraphale is free to bestow his pleasant little mannerisms on anyone he likes. It's probably just the hangover. Aziraphale turns to Crowley then, and there's still that tension on his face, but he manages to give Crowley one of his mostly lovely smiles. Thank you for your company, my dear boy, he says. I'm so sorry to have to run. And then he turns around and leaves the kitchen, Turning the corner to head into what Crowley has to figure is the study. Why is this weird? Here, Warlock says, breaking Crowley's train of thought. He comes back to himself to see Warlock holding out another plate with an English muffin, toasted lightly, butter already soaking into the nooks and crannies. Wasn't sure what you liked. Feel free to help yourself to the jam. Thanks, Crowley says, surprised, and he lets Warlock lead him over to the little breakfast table to sit down. Warlock looks at him, sighs, and then grins crookedly. Look, we all got a bit sloshed last night, not the first time for any of us. You aren't being kicked out on purpose, it's just that... He glances over his shoulder and then turns back to Crowley, his voice lowered. Az's boss is a real cunt. Crowley nearly snorts coffee. Isn't he your boss too? I let him think so, says Warlock with another of those grins. Crowley likes Warlock. Or he would if his head weren't pounding so hard. Sorry, it isn't a nice word to use as an insult. He's just a real shithead. Crowley simply raises his eyebrow in his best tell-me-more gesture. He makes As really nervous, even though all the mean stuff happens behind his back. Warlock explains... I'm pretty sure he forgot about this call entirely last night because he hates being anything but perfect in front of Gabriel. I guarantee he'll come out of that call an absolute stress ball over it. So don't take it personally, man. It ain't you. Crowley isn't sure whether he feels better or worse. On one hand... It's nice to know that Aziraphale's anxiety this morning wasn't caused by Crowley sleeping over on his couch. On the other hand, he doesn't like that Warlock can read him so easily. Crowley looks up, a frown on his face, and then realises Warlock hasn't said a single thing about his eyes either. Crowley remembers Fell saying his boss didn't quite like it when his writers associated with the owners they were reviewing or something like that. Okay, fine. He isn't going to entirely be the grown-up here because he's hungover and because that's a stupid fucking rule, but he'll at least consider it in the future when he's less poundy in the head area. It's no big deal. Crowley drawls, and he can see Warlock doesn't believe that for a second, but he at least lets Crowley eat his English muffin in peace. <laughs> Crowley stops in the tasting room long enough to give both Newt and Anathema the middle finger and then heads home to chug a giant glass of cold water and collapse into his bed. Anathema's always pushing for him to take more days off anyway. She shouldn't complain when he does. woo he hasn't been this hangover in a long time. Probably since the last bud burst, at least. His brain feels like it's a crumbling brick in a washing machine. Fuck. Crowley flops over onto his back and flings his arms and legs out wide. He stares at the ceiling. And starts yelling at himself. What the fuck, Crowley thinks. There wasn't even anything remotely inappropriate about the night, other than two forty-something-year-old men getting wasted on wine on a work night, and that's more depressing than it is... Why does he feel like this? Why is this all suddenly some big deal that he slept on Aziraphale's couch? The couch in his bedroom suite... Crowley's brain says helpfully back at him, and Crowley groans, pressing both hands over his face. So that's what it is. It's like a walk of shame he hadn't even earned. However, as hungover as he is right now, Crowley decides he can put these somewhat life-threatening realisations off until his brain doesn't feel like an ice cube in a blender. Luckily, he falls asleep before his brain proves him wrong. Crowley returns to the tasting room around dinner time. Adam and Brian are there, working the kitchen, while Anathema and Newt deftly handle the handful of customers they have. Mondays are usually slow. Another reason they all take off on Sunday, and the crowd is absolutely manageable, but he gets this itch on the soles of his feet if he isn't there for longer than a day or two. Today... When he's feeling so off-centred, it's extra important that he's here and present. Anathema takes one look at him and shoves him out the back door. Go talk to your dad, she tells him, and it would be funny, except that Anathema has that sixth sense that means she isn't actually joking. Crowley kicks off his moccasins. There isn't anything quite like the feeling of bare feet against the gentle, moist soil of the spring. As much as he loves the way shoes can complete a statement outfit, Crowley's never really been a fan. He'd be barefoot every day if it didn't break relevant health codes. Skin-to-ground contact. There's something soothing about it, something that grounds all of the prickly static in Crowley. Sometimes he just wants to lay down, belly in the earth, head down into the richness of his soil, just to breathe clean air through its filter. Of course he finds himself at the old vines. This is the heart of his winery. Crowley rarely lets anyone walk this earth, it isn't that people walking through will disturb these ancient growths which have withstood time and rain and ice and all kinds of change. It's more that he does not want anyone to see the feeling on his face when he stands here within this strong chamber, still pumping strong into the nutrients of the earth and upwards into the blooming vines. This was the first place Crowley found some semblance of peace after a generous thirty-some years of his life, and he's still weak to it. He wonders whether she had any idea what she was doing with the second chance, or if this was all just a roll of the dice. He does know that he's never felt like he deserved it. It's just Crowley being Crowley again, assigning all kinds of meaning to things that, in the end, aren't actually there at all. He could make a career out of that. Sometimes he thinks he has. And if he had a dollar every time he just decided to not think about things that bother him, well, he wouldn't be worrying about all of those loans he's very deliberately and specifically not thinking about being kicked out of A. Z. Feld's gigantic splendid rental mansion like a shameful shag. He isn't at all wondering whether Fell will bother to come back or not. He isn't thinking about anything. Nevertheless, He stays out in the old vines until the sun sets and then makes his way back into the winery to make fun of Anathema some more. Crowley's surprised a few days later when his phone buzzes around 9 a.m. Will you be working the tasting room today? He smiles. I'm here every day, Angel. This is my life. Oh, I do wish you wouldn't bother with that stupid nickname. The blog name wasn't my idea, you know. Really? What idiot came up with it then? If you must know, my boss. Anyway, we may come by later. I feel like I've recovered and I'm dying for a glass of that old wine zin again. Got you covered. Angel. Crowley gets no response to this, but he smiles anyway. <laughs> Aziraphale and Warlock do show up sometime round half seven. Crowley reminds himself that there's no such thing as an actual mind trader, and angles himself against the bar as Aziraphale sits down across from him. He looks not tired per se, but worn, a battery in need of charging. Luckily, Crowley has wine and probably some of Newt's paninis in the back. He's granted the lovebirds the night off when it had ended up being nearly empty, because he really hadn't liked the way they were looking at each other tonight, full of besotted longing. Pepper emerges from the back rooms to grab Warlock's arm and tug him behind the bar. Crowley watches them vanish, and Pepper throws him a look and a wink over her shoulder, that suddenly has Crowley thinking terribly gross thoughts because he knows Adam isn't here and doubts either of the other two boys are. Is it a full moon? Crowley asks as he saunters over to the door, flipping the sign to closed and locking it. If it's just Azira fell here, he has no need to bring in any other customers, Not that there have been many. Is there something in the water? Venus in retrograde? I dare say I have no idea. Raphael has wiggled his way onto a stool. His eyes still look extinguished, and yet he's watching Crowley with a bit of fondness, a faint smile playing his mouth. Why? Crowley frowns and reaches for the open bottle of Apocalypse. Usually at the end of the tasting day, he lets whoever came in take home the open bottle of their choice, but today's closing had been random and he hadn't really thought about it. He manages two small pours before it runs dry and slides one across the bar for Azira fell to pick up. I sent Newt and Anathema home today for making sex eyes at each other across the tasting room, he tells Aziraphale, and is rewarded as Aziraphale makes a choking noise into his glass and flushes. And Pepper just gave me the kind of look that says I'd better not go back in the offices to check on the paperwork any time soon. Aziraphale's eyes widen as his glance trails over to where Warlock had vanished. He swallows and then shakes his head. Warlock said they were going to watch a movie, he tells Crowley, and Crowley grins. Netflix and chill? I'm not quite sure what that means. Crowley snorts. (laughs) Fine, sure, they're watching a movie. Have it your way. Aziraphale's lips go flat, as if he's pressing them together strongly, and then he says, Not that I mind in general, for the record. I would just rather not... His gaze trails back again to the doorway to the back offices. Oh, good lord, is this some sort of What is it? Butt-style? Crowley hoots at that, sliding his glass across the bar with a jerk, unable to stop the spasm of his hand. (laughs) Booty call, he tells Aziraphale. And probably no, since you texted me this morning about it. Oh and he lets his sunglasses drop down his nose so that he can more effectively leer. "'Is it a booty call?' fell flushes, but instead of spluttering as Crowley sort of expects him to, he just placidly sips at his wine. "'I've no idea what that phrase means either,' he says, as if butter wouldn't melt in his mouth,' and Crowley grins all wide at it. Look it up, he says, and then pulls up a stool to sit across from Aziraphale. Cheers. They've both been sipping, but Aziraphale dutifully raises his glass to chime against Crowley's, and they both drink somewhat deeply this time. Ha. <sighs> It starts as a bit of a gasp, then becomes a long, drawn-out sigh of contentment as Aziraphale closes his eyes, swirling the wine in his glass. That's every bit as good as I remembered, he murmurs. Crowley's watching him from behind his glasses, stealing these little hints and gestures when Aziraphale can't see him watching. This has aired out, hasn't it? Crowley shrugs, wondering once again how Aziraphale knows. This is one of the bottles we opened today for tasting, he says, gesturing at the number of bottles with pouring corks sitting at the angled point of the tasting bar. So, yeah, that's been aerated a bit. Pouring multiple tastes, sure. Heavens, but that really opens it up, doesn't it? Aziraphale sips again, this time swirling the wine around in his mouth in a motion Crowley can't peel his terrible eyes away from. He watches Aziraphale swallow, ducking his head in that way that flashes a bit of a roll beneath his chin, increasingly endearing. It's like, oh, I don't know, the same wine, but in a more flattering outfit. Crowley snorts in laughter. Mentally, of course, he considers his own outfit. Long-sleeved black button-down today with his burgundy vest and actual black trousers, one of his more presentable ones. Of course that means his hair's done up in two wrapped braids and he has eyeliner on again under the sunglasses because, hell forbid, he shows up presentable. I guess, he says, drawling it out. Not sure I taste the same things you do, Angel. I'm looking for the sun and the rain, I am, not some random red berry. I do wonder what it might be like in your mouth, Aziraphale says, and Crowley chokes on his wine. When he manages to glance over at Aziraphale, the other man is sitting primly, but there's the hint of a smile around his lips, like he absolutely knows what he just said. But, Dial... Crowley mutters, with a roll of his eyes he hopes is obvious, but Aziraphale is staring into his glass with an intense sort of look on his face. What? Oh, Crowley, Aziraphale says, drawing himself up excitedly. Are you perhaps up for a bit of an experiment? The fullest bottle they have opened from tasting that day is a bottle of Judith, the Syrah, which must have just been opened right before Anathema and Newt left. Aziraphale has convinced Crowley to open a fresh bottle, and over on the other side of the bar he's taken the previously opened Judith and is repeatedly pouring it between glasses, into one and then back into the former, the distance between the two glasses increasing every time, probably for maximal air contact. While Crowley was fetching the fresh bottle, Aziraphale has, apparently, taken the time to roll his sleeves up to the top of his forearms, right below his elbow, and the sudden flash of that pale blonde hair and bared skin has Crowley's throat tightening up. Which really isn't fair. He's worn a goddamn dress in front of this man, bared more skin than that. If anyone is overwhelmed, it certainly should be Aziraphale. Not him. It strikes Crowley that they've fallen into this again. The way their evenings together just take everything else over the way once he's talking to Aziraphale he can lose hours in it and it never feels strange or awkward or too much. Crowley realises, in that slow, lurching kind of realisation that can absolutely obliterate one's internal axes, that all of their conversations have been this level of overwhelmingly engrossing. Well... He'll think about that later. Or never. Probably later. It's hard enough not to think about it now. Once the bottle has been opened, Crowley lets it sit and goes to rolling back the sleeves of his shirt as well. He doesn't even like wearing his sleeves down, except that he likes the way this particular shirt draws out the lines of his arms. He catches Aziraphale's eyes on his own forearms more than once and makes sure he stretches his arms out when he's done in a brilliant showing of his silhouette. Crowley knows what he looks like. He's too sharp, jutting angles and elbows and long, lanky limbs. So he's embraced it over the years, given himself a swagger and a style that makes it look intentional. It only works when he's dressed up, though, like a costume he wears to hide the fact his shoulder blades can cut and his fingernails bleed. Why is he like this? Are they doing this? Maybe they're doing this. Maybe Aziraphale is just warm. So, Aziraphale says, drawing the three fresh glasses he'd asked for in front of himself. Here we have Judith, freshly opened, where the only air she's seen is this poor. He fills the glass at least halfway. Then we have this Judith with casual aeration, having been opened for some of today and having breathed in the general air. Another generous poor. And this is the Judith I've just aerated deliberately. One, two, three glasses sit in front of Crowley. Where do we start? He drawls and kicks his leg up on top of the mini fridge behind the bar that holds their tasting whites. Rafael pulls out his notebook, of course, and carefully presses it open into the bar top. I'm actually curious now as well, he confesses, and his smile is indulgent and fond. It might make a good post. When you're tasting a sample at a winery, do you need to consider the aeration of the wine as you decipher the taste? Crowley splutters. (laughs) Laughing. Where do we start drinking? He corrects, and then he realizes there are only three glasses sitting between them. Here, Azir Raphael says, sliding the first glass across the space. This one. Freshly opened, minimal aeration. This is the taste right out of the bottle. Obediently, Crowley picks up the glass and smells it. There's no fucking fruit or wood or flower in there. What he smells is the dense planting of Judith high-density vines, rows only spaced four feet apart, only harvestable by human hands, unless Crowley somehow finds the money to invest in one of those narrow lane harvesters. He has no idea why the fuck the previous owners have left the vines like this, producing such a high yield per acre that Crowley's always worried it's going to taste like piss and vinegar. And yet, the Syrah grows nicely in those shortened dimensions because their thick skins protect them from the types of problems that can plague other kinds of grapes. He takes a long sip And again, it just tastes like Judith. Right, Angel, he says. That's Judith she is. Okay, Raphael says, and Crowley watches as the other man plucks the glass from his fingers and brings it up to his face, breathing deeply before taking a long, slow sip, as if this is a process over time. A perfect Syrah, Rafel says, his eyes still closed and a hand coming up to bring thumb and fingertip together. Syrah is darker than most, and this one carries more spice than other reds. Almost smoky, but with something that... It isn't licorice. Clove, maybe. Crowley still hung up on the fact that they're sharing glasses. He makes some kind of guttural noise to answer Aziraphale's ramblings and reaches for the glass to have another sip now that Aziraphale has. He imagines pressing his lips at the same space Aziraphale did. An indirect kiss. Holy fuck, Crowley, get a hold of yourself. Next, let's try this subtle aeration. Aziraphale picks up the glass, swirls it, and then holds it out to Crowley. Focus on anything you taste that's different. Crowley takes the glass dubiously. It smells the same just like Judith, and as he brings it to his mouth, he's fairly sure he isn't going to taste anything different, because this is the same wine from the same soil the same year and... Wait, though. Because there's a bitterness that has vanished from the flavour and he wouldn't have lit on it had he not just tasted Judith from a bottle. It's surprising, frankly, and he can't help but make a noise that has Aziraphale's eyes tracking him as if Crowley's the only interesting thing that exists anymore. What is it? Aziraphale asks, his voice low and compelling and hells. Crowley's brain needs to make its way out of this gutter and back into his skull. Snod a taste,' Crowley tells him and reaches for the glass that has the fresh-poured Judith within. He sips at that and tastes bitter edge not quite sulfur but some mineral taste that he wouldn't have categorized as bad without tasting the second version it's it's a thing that isn't there that's perfectly valid as Rafel tells him may i And Crowley hands the glass directly over to Aziraphale, who drinks from the same glass Crowley did. His mouth on the other side of the same rim Crowley has put his own mouth to. Aziraphale didn't bother to pour them separate glasses. Aziraphale assumed they'd be absolutely content to share. Raphael is right, but maybe for an entirely different reason than he intended. Crowley's doomed. How? Oh, says Aziraphale, and it's another one of those noises Crowley associates with somewhere much more intimate than his own tasting room. Although what? This is an intimate moment, right here, sharing the rim of the glassware. And some small, needy bit of him will never tire of hearing Aziraphale praise his wine. You're right. It's some of that. Those sulphuric compounds, the ones that can taste like wet rocks after a rain. They've oxidized, see, from exposure to the air. The words barely mean anything to Crowley, but he hangs on to them anyway. Is that good or bad? Which one's more important, Angel? Aziraphale slides the glass back across the bar top. It's deliberate. Aziraphale has meant for them to share glasses from the beginning as if they're... As if they're the kind of people who share wine glasses. Crowley has no idea how to take this. He feels besotted and stupid. He knows this isn't a good look on him. It isn't really good or bad, Aziraphale tells him, picking up the third glass and swirling it. Your Syrah is perfectly balanced right out of the bottle. It isn't like there's some unharmonious note that needs to be removed. Aeration simply pulls out some of the by-products from the fermentation process that become bothersome over time. He breathes in the third glass, sighs as his eyelashes flutter shut, and drinks. This is ridiculous, Crowley thinks. What am I doing here? I'm in the wrong story. It's fucking useless to have this kind of stupid crush on someone who's mostly just here for the wine. That's flattering, yeah, but Crowley really needs to rein in the brain and stop watching Aziraphale's mouth. Here, Aziraphale says, and Crowley picks it up to take a heavy swig. Except that this is... This is Judith, yes, but this is Judith punching him in the teeth. He nearly chokes on it, setting the glass down to cough through it. Hell, you're right. He manages to get out around the choke in his throat. Same wine, but dressed up. Fancy dress. Fucking Lobotin on. Shit. fell laughs, the sound pealing out like bells in the empty tasting room. <laughs> Only you, he says fondly, and then raises an eyebrow in a way that looks like a smirk. I assume you have a pair? Crowley snorts. Too, Angel. I have standards.' "'I'm sure you do,' Aziraphale murmurs, "'and there's something else in it that Crowley can't read.' He waits a second too long, but then slides the glass across to Aziraphale, readjusting his limbs for maximum appeal. Crowley ignores the noises the other man is making— tugging at the seams of his trousers, flicking the buttons of his waistcoat. So, Angel, what's the trick, then? Cause a bottle that gets left out open overnight doesn't taste like this. Tastes like vinegar and grape juice. Oxidation goes too far, says Aziraphale. As well as evaporation. It's a short-term taste. Crowley hums, flicks a fingernail against the glass. It's a friendly kind of silence, passing the glasses back and forth, fell making little noises, Crowley just letting the familiar wine sit in his mouth. Still a bit surreal, but Crowley's working on that. Having passed out drunk on the man's couch helps a bit. How was your cool with your manager? He doesn't miss the way Aziraphale's face flushes over with... Anger? Embarrassment? Warlock doesn't like the boss, Crowley remembers. Maybe Aziraphale doesn't either but the look smooths out into a little pout, and fell sighs. sighs. Same as usual, he tells Crowley, and the drink he takes this time is a bit longer. Went over the changes they're making to my articles, talked about the book I'm writing that he doesn't like. It's only a bit bitter, but Crowley's now curious. Right, he says. He tops off the glass of Judith from the bottle, takes his wig, and passes it to Aziraphale. Not sure you've exactly explained what you're doing in wine country in a house that sleeps 23. Ah, says Azirafel, but he snorts, and a bit of that frustration fades away. I'm terribly sorry. I've been trying not to talk too much about work. No need to keep quiet on my account, Crowley tells him, smirking. Tell me your secrets, Angel. Aziraphale blushes and flicks a look over at Crowley before looking back down at the glass in front of him. Oh, Crowley says, Feeling massively stupid Right that's it, in it He opens a hand in Azirafeld's direction. I'm joking, you know. I mean obviously you know that <sighs> but yeah, I get it. Conflict of interest, eh and all No need to get into it with the guy you're reviewing, yeah? Oh, heavens, no, that isn't it at all, fell blurts, and to Crowley's surprise, he rests his hand over Crowley's where it's sitting on the bar. Soft blogger hands. <coughs> Crowley's brain is an idiot. I just don't want it to dominate the conversation. Aziraphale says. His hand stays a calming weight on Crowley's knuckles. I can be particularly single-minded. And since what we both do overlaps so much, I don't want to spend all of this time talking about work. Talking about what else, then? Crowley shakes his head to shut it up. Talk about whatever you want, Angel, he tells Aziraphale. After all, we're friends now, aren't we? It's meant to be teasing, but it produces the sweetest smile on Aziraphale's face and Crowley feels his chest tightening up. That we are, Aziraphale replies, sighing a bit, and Crowley grins. But what's the book about? They've defeated the Judith and the Apocalypse and have moved on to valiantly emptying the remains of whatever had been opened for tasting. Pepper and Warlock had emerged, giggling a bit, but otherwise proper, and Crowley had just lowered the sunglasses to glare at them as Pepper neatly swiped the bottle of honey and psalms. It's a tough job, Crowley thinks, but someone has to do it. Aziraphale is stammering for the first time, and Crowley finds it incredibly charming. It's about, well, it's about this. He makes a sweeping motion, as if including all of the Russian River Valley in the gesture. Wine country, and what it tastes like, and what I end up doing over the course of the stay. But what's the plot? Teasing Aziraphale is hilarious. Are you the hero? Is there a murder? I like mysteries. Aziraphale rolls his eyes so hard Crowley's sure they can feel it on the moon. There are absolutely no murders, although you're trying my patience. It's a memoir, Crowley, not a fiction. Memoir just sounds vulgar, though revealing all your sordid secrets on the page. He says it just to watch Aziraphale splutter. The conquests of azit certainly would sell wine-sexy, angel. Aziraphale breathes in sharply through his nose, but his eyes are sparkling. Incorrigible, you are. I am, Crowley says proudly. He's got Ruth, while Aziraphale is taking a break from Red's with Song of Solomon. Horrible. Absolutely scandalous. I belong in your sexy book. Oh, you're in it, Aziraphale murmurs. And then turns back to his glass, his cheeks pinking up, as if he didn't mean to say anything. I mean, I've reviewed your place already, you know. You're in the... um, archives. Crowley decides he'll save whatever that moment was to think about later. Anthony Crowley, he continues, grinning. Debonair Private Detective teams up with AZ Fell actual angel to solve the mystery of the his imagination having done so well up to this point promptly stops working the um uh, well the hm his hand makes a scribble in the air your turn Aziraphale's smile is entirely too smug. Are you telling me the suave Detective Crowley doesn't have a nemesis or some such? Uh, I mean... Crowley sputters. It's wine country, Angel. Although he inadvertently thinks about his own... Nemesis? It seems unfair to call Dagon that. Especially unfair to be who is at least a semblance of a friend. Crowley argues enough with the damn vines. Maybe that's really his nemesis. The passing of time? The unpredictable cycle of growth and dormancy? Fuck. Might as well say his nemesis is interest rates. Raphael looks incredibly self-satisfied. And thus the reason I'm not writing a murder mystery, he tells Crowley. High crime indeed. Mine's better, Crowley mumbles, but he refills Aziraphale's glass and lets him win the point.